Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's our summer podcast, midsummer. We're all enjoying the heat mixed with rain and slightly cooler temperatures after the early burst of heat. Uh, yeah, but we're going to talk, as usual, about the ins and outs of film classification here in the UK. Uh, and hopefully we have some international listeners as well. Might be of interest. And there is an interesting international development, which I'm going to talk about in a moment in the news. But first of all, let me say I'm James Blatch. I'm an examiner here at the board. And let me introduce my colleague, Graham Hill. Hello, Graham. Hello, James. No stranger to the podcast. We no. Presented it before together. We did, and by imperceptible demand, we're back. <laughs> yeah, you emailing was that Mrs. Hill <laughs> yeah, of Kent? I've never heard of her. No. Um, well, welcome back, Graham. It's uh, it's good Thank to have you, you back. And since we spoke last time, you've become a bit of a policy guru here at the board. So you're the man to talk to about some of the issues that will come up today. Okay. According to me. Uh, what else are we going to do today? We're going to hear from the boss man himself, David Cook, a periodic little delve to the oak panelled office on the second floor and chat to David Cook about uh, the latest developments. Loads going on in the film classification world. So it's a really interesting interview. Stick around for that in a few minutes. Uh, we're also going to talk about our special subject for today, which is The Others. Not the film, but the other issues. We decided that we'd talk about the issues that come up in film classification. You can be down there watching the film and it won't be a sex, language, violence, one of those big four or five issues. It'll be something else, something sometimes a little bit obscure with the way that a horse falls. Uh, A bit more on that later. Maybe another legal issue. Uh, Maybe somebody lights up a cigarette. All of these things start to uh, impact on the classification decision we make. So we're going to go through some of those a bit later on. I think mainly just to show people that you never quite know, do you, when you're doing our job? No, exactly. Exactly. Anything can happen. Okay, let's start with the news roundup. Uh, Summer crop of releases. Do we still call them summer blockbusters? Absolutely. After Jaws? Yeah, of course. Okay, well, no fish uh, eating humans that I I know of, but we do have our very own TV personality Alan Partridge who has his own film Alan Partridge Alpha Papa doing well in the cinemas contains strong language uh, 15 for the language and that's really it in terms of classification issues quite a lot of moderate terms as well in terms of language uh, but other issues like the violence in there uh, you might imagine there's a comedy context and doesn't really get uh, above moderates there so 15 for strong language and I suppose that's a production decision they make at an early stage isn't it Graham because they could have had a 12 if they decided they wanted to keep the language down but uh, yeah absolutely but I mean there's you know what your target market is for Alan Partridge yeah. I think and it would have been post watershed on the BBC when it went out and now on Sky Atlantic isn't it so I yeah. think the audience are very unlikely to be offended by that kind of language. Okay, we also have Planes, which is, I suppose, sort of Cars 3, but they've taken... Actually, those films, I mean, Cars and Cars 2 were very different films, actually very different in the way that they set out, even though they had the same characters in. Planes is the next one in the series. Is Mater in it? Mater is not in Planes, I'm afraid. I know he was your special friend, wasn't he? He was my special favourite character. Do you know who is in Planes, though? Who? Goose and Iceman. Really? Yeah, Anthony Edwards and Val Kilmer are in planes. What have Anthony Edwards and Val Kilmer got to do with Goose and Iceman? They, that was a documentary, right, Top Gun? 
The Smurfs 2 is also in the cinemas, um, or The Smurfs, as I've written here, uh, strangely. Mild slapstick violence and very mild... Like you, you can, I didn't even give out the classification terms for planes, did I? Very mild terms, like yeah. bum and heck, which actually come to mind at the moment, Graham. <laughs> and exciting aerial scenes, but no violence per Is se. there a kind of parallel with Goose in Top Gun? I don't know, actually, the story. I haven't seen the film. Mm. But I hope not, because I'm not sure if that's quite a suitable storyline for younger children. Depends how it's been it do- does depend, and it all depends on context, but let's not go down that route now. Uh, the Smurfs, two, follow-up, more the, the same, really, The Smurfs. Yes, mild slapstick violence, very mild language. Um, again, butt word comes in there, uh, words like moron, um, but that is very much what you got used to in the first Smurfs film, which did very well, actually. And what the, about the first Smurfs film? Did that do the well? The first Smurfs film. Sounds a bit dodgy, actually. Now, here's a piece of news that's quite exciting because it involves the podcast itself. We okay. have been taken up mm. by Virgin Atlantic. We are now... This wow. podcast is available streaming uh, as an option on the entertainment system Fantastic. on the Virgin Atlantic flights. And uh, we're delighted about that. Thank you, Virgin, for taking uh, an interest in the podcast. And hello, if you're travelling to Los Angeles or somewhere, off somewhere glamorous. Fantastic. We're, we're in Soho, but we're happy with our lot, aren't we? Absolutely. Uh, we did a special podcast, actually, just for the Virgin Atlantic flights as well, which is... Uh, an explanation of the BBFC categories because they do apply to all the Virgin uh, Entertainment works and of course people may not necessarily hail from the UK on a a Virgin flight so it gives them an idea of how the classification system works. BA also take our classification symbols and uh, do I have to say that other airlines are available? No. I don't don't, we just have but no. Yeah I'm not going to say it. Great. Okay, let's move on to our interview. Uh, David Cook. So from time to time, uh, I catch up with David about some of the topics, uh, what's hot, what's not, and what he's dealing with, pace of change, accelerating at the moment, lots going on. And here we are a few minutes ago. Let's start with exemptions, which Mm. we've mentioned from time to time. Um, Very quick background on exemptions in that in the mid-80s, the VRA was drawn up. uh, And the exemptions really draw the line as to what videos are going to be caught by the Act, what aren't. Most videos, to be fair, are caught by the Video Recordings Act, but there are some niche areas, music videos, documentaries, predominantly sport videos, for instance, that weren't. We started looking, We were. I think it's fair to say we were a bit concerned at the changing nature of some of those areas. So was the government. Yes. Bit of a meeting of minds. We got together and really focused on music videos and there was an agreement between us and the industry. Well, I think it was the result of a lot of hard work that was done by David Austin, head of policy in the BBFC. And what he did was really got a a group together of people, including um, big-scale representation from the industry as well, to build a consensus. And eventually, I think that the government... Um, saw that that was what had been put together but you know just to try and make this come alive a bit more there are these various areas for exemption and it might be music videos or it might be documentaries or other educational material but you we began to realize and David Austin collected some very good examples that there was some potentially harmful material that was claiming the benefit of exemption so in um, music videos, for instance, you'd have uh, self-harming in the case of um, some videos that we saw. In the case of documentaries, you would have things that um, 
posed as documentaries about the Holocaust, but you suspected they had a more exploitative kind of interest. And in the area of sport, you know, you had things like uh, extreme cage fighting, where there was some pretty heavy-duty violence being meted out. So the government had a consultation, and the basic proposal is that anything of this kind, that's 12 level or above, should come to the BBFC for classification. It requires a change in the regulations and the government is drafting that now and they're talking to us about how that should be done. So governments don't necessarily move at lightning pace when it comes to making these sorts of changes and we've had various consultations. This stage we're at now is getting quite close, I think, to... I think we're getting close and uh, as I understand it, it starts to get a bit technical now, but we're talking about secondary legislation, not primary legislation. So that's a a quicker procedure. So we should be sort of fairly close to the end game now, I hope. Yes. Um, I share an office with Graham Hill, who's co-presenting this podcast, and Graham did a lot of the legwork uh, in this area. And it was actually, he always had a rather alarming set of DVDs passing across his desk that occasionally had a man holding a knife in front of somebody's neck. It was clearly an instructional video Mm. on how to defend yourself, and I use the air quotes because there was clearly some aggression there as well. And that's the type of thing I think you're referring to, isn't it? Well, you you and I have seen the same set of material, I think, that um, David and Graham put together. And that one actually really sticks in the mind because it is supposedly educative material. But um, it's extremely dubious, you know. It, it tells you how to kill people with a, a knife using army techniques in the most... Uh, efficient and effective way possible and the idea that that is of purely educative interest Mm. um, strikes me as not quite right at all. And I guess there's a simple test in would most parents, reasonable parents, think that it's reasonable that this is exempt from classification and Mm. the answer is probably a fairly resounding no. Well the trouble with um, legislation generally is it gets out of date you know and what looked sensible in the 80s didn't necessarily um, turn out to match all the circumstances we need to deal with now. Okay, moving on. In the last podcast, we mentioned the rise of digital submissions, which Mm. is something that was fleshed out in statistical terms in the annual report. Things Mm. are changing in our world, aren't they? I think there's a paradigm shift going on right now. And um, there's a number of things that come together. And I don't want to lump everything together Uh, in too crude a way, but I I think there is a bit of a sea change. So uh, clearly there are, you know, the tragic and harrowing court cases we've had, the Tia Sharp and April Jones cases, there's no doubt at all that uh, they have made a huge difference. Um, Prime Minister has spoken to the parents um, before doing his recent speech, and his speech, I think, reflects that paradigm shift. There's other things going on. I mean, when we started doing this work, you know, eight years or so ago, people um, tended to say, oh, well, that's the internet, you know, hands off the internet. Um, China China regulates the internet. That was what we heard, wasn't it? All kinds of different reasons. It's partly that, um, you know, there are genuinely tricky enforcement issues on anything to do with the internet. And and nobody should pretend otherwise. But I think the trouble was that we we then reached some conclusions that that didn't follow. And a good thought experiment to do is if you take some 
18 level content. Say um, you take a Serbian film, which was one of the more challenging 18s we've done recently, and you ask yourself this question, where does it pose the, the greater risks in the cinema with a BBFC 18 or um, transmitted through the internet? and probably in a form which does not include the significant number of cuts which the BBFC made to it. And I think the answer is clear, isn't it? You know, the risks are much greater in relation to the internet. There's far more likelihood that seriously uh, underage children may be exposed to this kind of material. So, you know, I, I think that's the, the change that's been going on, whereas previously people said, oh, you're a bit like King Canute if you try and get worried about any of this. People are now questioning that and saying, no, actually, there are harm risks and they're real. As you say, real-world events exercising politicians. And what role is there for the BBFC in the fairly complicated area now of, of looking at possible actions? Yes. Well, I mean, I think the... Um you know, there's probably even more ingredients to the, the, the sea change, if, if you like. I mean, just um, this week, as, as we're, we're, we're talking, there's a lot of concern about trolls on Twitter, for instance. And then, you know, there are even concerns about um, call centres and the sort of way in which they can um, behave that's a real nuisance to the lives of people. And I think, you know, several of these th things come together. It would be wrong to say they were all of equal importance. Clearly they're not, but they they create a climate. And um, I was at the Prime Minister's speech, which he gave last week to the NSPCC. And from the BBFC's point of view, uh, that kind of development is positive because it creates an environment in which... Um, people look slightly differently at these questions and they think, well, there are people like the BBFC who can offer services which may help. Now, I, I use the word services because, as you know, in this area, um, we haven't got a statutory remit, so we're not going to be able to force anybody to do anything. But, um, you know, every time we ask parents, 80% uh, plus say that they would like to see BBFC symbols on downloaded films. So that gives you an idea that, um, you know, there really is a demand out there. And do you remember, we used to get this question quite a lot, well, you know, doesn't a, the BBF, doesn't the internet mean that the BBFC is becoming increasingly irrelevant? And, you know, the implication we might just as well pack up and go home. And the more I think about it, the more I think how wrong that mm. is, that the message we're actually getting is um, people want trusted guides in, in this area, and it's no simpler than um, you know going to the cinema. It's more complicated. Yeah, and in a fragmented delivery system, consistency of information has never been more relevant, really. I agree, absolutely right. David Cook talking to me a few minutes ago uh, in his office. As you can tell, lots going on. Really interesting to catch up with David, and we will check in again with him uh, probably around the time the new guidelines uh, come out, uh, which, as he says, probably will be the turn of the year. Okay, Graham, let's talk about other issues. So this okay. is a, a not often talked about area of our work, and it doesn't always uh, come up. Most of the films we watch won't necessarily have legal issues or some complicating factor in them. But when it does, it's, uh, it means that we delve into our own policy on this subject. We check with UK law, and sometimes we talk to outside 
agencies. I wanted to start with some of the legal issues. Uh, animal cruelty yep. comes up from time to time. Most commonly, I suppose, horse falls. Yeah, uh, the Cinematograph Films Animals Act 1937 prohibits the distribution and exhibition of films containing organised or directed scenes involving animal cruelty. Horse falls in particular. Mm. One of the things that happened to us uh, those years ago when we joined the board and sat in training is yeah. we were taught to spot the difference between a stunt rider bringing a horse down safely yeah. and a horse that's brought down unsafely. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah, you, you would normally... Um, a pretty easy test, actually, is to see if the horse goes down sideways or goes down forward so uh, if, if you see that it's tripped forward or it goes down head first then that would normally be termed as unsafe and sometimes they they trip them as you say sometimes they have an attachment on the horse where the rider pulls up this and it pulls the legs away um there's an a-frame there's a name for that i can't remember it's it's referenced in the butch cassie and sundance mm. kid commentary oh yeah um, which we can mention in a moment um on other occasions and i had this in a film a couple of years ago there were pits yeah, they do in do the, that prepared ground. ground. Yeah. Yeah. So you get yeah. soft sort of um, shavings. Mm. So as far as the horse can see, it looks like level ground, but in fact the yeah. horse's legs go into a pit. Now, a horse running along, and they're big, heavy creatures, horses at 25 miles an hour, and it, it head plants, that's potentially fatal yeah. for the horse. And uh, on that basis, it falls foul of the act in cinema terms when we cut it across all formats. Mm. Um, they don't do it in the States anymore, where most of the horse falls came from in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, so a lot of old westerns, we still see it now. Yeah, very different uh, policy, I think, on the treatment of animals. Well, I don't know, but I mean, there's certainly a lot of old westerns looked very dodgy in sort of modern terms. We know that they used to do all sorts, don't we? And and that came to light, particularly with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance uh, kid, it was late 60s, absolutely classic western, of course, in many people's minds, one of the finest westerns. Um, the director's commentary had him talking about one particular horse fall, which actually was on the edge of frame and not particularly visible, but he said in the commentary, this type of horse fall was illegal in the States at the time, so we had to go down to Mexico to film it. And of course, he'd flagged up to us in commentary that this was an illegal horse fall, also fell foul of the UK Act. And for the first time, we had to cut Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, uh, would you believe? Um, even though they hadn't uh, cut it at the time. As I say, it's right on the edge of frame, and it's actually quite ambiguous looking mm-hmm. at it. Okay, so that's horse falls. Occasionally, with animal cruelty, we get unusual ones. We had an octopus apparently being eaten in Old Boy boy, in the classic uh, Korean film. Okay, let's move on to POCO, the Protection of Children Act. Uh, Obviously, this is a very serious area, and this is an act of parliament which makes it illegal to possess or make an indecent image of a child. Now, people immediately start thinking of child abuse images. Actually, this in our world can sometimes be a drama that may have, uh, for instance, a 16 or 17-year-old child in it and the definition of a child legally changed a few years ago in the UK from being under 16 to under 18 um, so 17 year old is still a child legally uh, and they may be in a sexual position or maybe some uh, sexual element to it and some mm. nudity which potentially could fall foul of this act which obviously is very serious so we have to be incredibly careful yeah it's a criminal offence to make distribute show advertise or possess an indecent photograph or a pseudo photograph of a person under 18 so that could be an image whether made by computer graphics which appears to be a photograph and even an image derived from a photograph or pseudo photograph e.g by tracing is yeah, also called yeah. under so, okay and uh, people sometimes ask do you ever actually get 
what what we used to call child porn a policeman tipped me off once for saying child porn it's child abuse images because there's no such thing as, as pornography involving children uh do you ever get that submitted and obviously we wouldn't ordinarily get that submitted to us at the board but very occasionally it does pop up in a feature and in fact i believe you had a Scandinavian feature a few years ago where two men were chatting in front of a sex shop window and in the window it was that period of time very unusual period of time in, in parts right. of Scandinavia where um, child porn I guess they would have called it then that's right it was, was an old magazine I yeah, think an old magazine in the window and that was really small in the image but uh, yeah it had to it had to be cut for well that. spotted Thank Graham you. okay a, a rather unsavoury area let's move on quickly let's talk about strobing images yes. now this is something that comes up more often than you might think so this is uh, this is an issue where that some people uh, might suffer from epilepsy, and so that they would they would be affected by strobing images, also by a kind of swirling, sweeping camera. And um, we will write a, a letter to uh, a distributor if we feel that um, flashing images are a sign take up a significant proportion of certain sequences. Now it might be a few seconds, or it might go on for minutes, and we have a slightly different process in terms of how we write to the distributor and what we require from them if it is a few seconds or if it does go on for a long time. I can think of a recent film, Hangover Part 3, where we had um, quite strong flashing images in a sequence where the guys go into a hotel room and they, and they sort of see the carnage of what's happened the night before. So that had flashing images in it. And so we do get it from time to time. And we have sometimes with concert videos, there's a Chemical Brothers uh, film mm. called Don't Think, which had the strongest strobing I've ever seen in it. And that was relentless, it was relentless it? throughout yeah. the entire film. And we had a talk uh, from an expert in this area. Uh, was it this year or Epilepsy last year? Action. Yeah, last year. Last I year, I think, uh, which was interesting. That really followed one of the Twilight films, the one in which uh, Bella gives birth. Now, there was a sequence of quite a few issues that were drawn to our attention as examiners watching that film but one that almost passed us by was the fact that the flashing wasn't as obvious as it normally is to catch us but it involved saturated red and that yeah, I think they're kind of showing the blood corpuscles pulsing during the birthing sequence all a bit icky but that saturated red is a big danger trigger yes it is uh, for yeah. some people with photosensitive conditions which i have to say was not something i was hugely familiar with mm. before and it was a really interesting talk wasn't it it's, yeah. it's helped us really focus a little bit on that okay this is an area the next one i'm going to mention motion sickness it is something that's come up occasionally isn't it we do actually yeah we, oh, we do, do we have do a policy, say, do we? yeah yeah we'll so visually it. induced motion sickness is caused from conflicting messages from the inner ear, the eye, and other parts of the body. Oh, you're so brainy. I know, I know. It almost sounds like I'm reading it. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so if the same thing again. If this goes on for a long time, then then we would write a letter or ask for assurances. So think of a film, uh, Cloverfield, I think, yes. had had that kind of thing. And Jerky camera throughout. That's right. First and so if it's really talking about sort of relentlessly lurching camera, so... That, I think, is that's definitely less common, but um, it's still something we would look out for. And uh, It's something that makes people do, obviously, have a strong physical reaction feel to. Feel nauseous yeah, to. Yeah, Gaspar Noé, uh, the Argentinian director, he, he, has a, he plays with this whole idea, I think, almost trying to induce sickness in his, his audience. He uses low-frequency noises as well, yeah. and uh, his films can be sometimes a bit nauseating <laughs> to watch, in, not in the negative sense, in the physical uh, sense okay um last area i think for this delve into the quirky and unusual part of our job is theme park rides graham yes. have you ever been on a roller coaster for the bbfc not for the bbfc i have been on them but i'm 
I'm well, a bit feeble when it comes to roller coasters. I tend to feel a bit sick. So slightly feeble. Thank you. All uh, round. <laughs> anyway, we've given uh, 12A ratings to two rides um, in Alton Towers uh, spring last year and the Pleasurewood Hills Hobbs Pit ride mm. just a couple of months ago. Suffolk. And um, our senior examiner, Murray Perkins, on both occasions got to adjudicate and um, 12A in both cases um, for the general experience obviously the film that was shown but the general experience which obviously terrified Murray yes so uh, and he hasn't been on one since no. so, I, um, I always imagine Murray sitting there very soberly with his clipboard and his candy floss and yeah. his candy floss uh, and we should say that the reason we would be brought in on these occasions is because there's a significant video element it's not simply going on the ride and we haven't been asked so far anyway to simply classify a ride without video content so we look at the video content and of course as we always do good practice is to take the whole context into account and i believe the pleasurewood hills um example where the video was relatively strong but in the context it was shown in that ride in fact you couldn't see all the video it was partially obscured through a window uh, that it, it attracted the 12 over that's quite an interesting area for us isn't it? it certainly is graham thank you very much i thought it'd be interesting for our listeners to hear some of those unusual bits and pieces you never quite know what's coming along when you're doing our job if you'd like to contact the podcast, we are available via email, podcast at bbfc.co.uk. Craig Jones uh, contacted us recently, and Craig asked us, uh, well, first of all, thank you for your kind comments about the podcast, uh, Craig. Uh, he had a couple of questions. One is that why are some movies, such as Hot Fuzz, released on uh, DVD at 15, but on Blu-ray they're given an 18? And he goes on to ask, why was Shaun of the Dead released at 15 certificate especially with strong violence and language okay craig the first thing to say is that hot fuzz was classified at 15 both theatrically and for dvd and blu-ray release however the blu-ray disc may well have been taken to 18 because of extras in fact i can tell you because it i was, did you, one of the extras on did, hot fuzz and it was it was very a, bad language it was very, very bad language. language we don't call it very bad language very bad language yeah Naughty language, naughty, that's what you, you would say. Language. I hate, I hate the phrase "bad." Language. It was a tour, promotional tour of the states with Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost, and they yes. have a lot of banter between them. And the banter included the c-word on several occasions. In fact, it became a frequent use, and that took that uh, that particular box set to eighteen. Um, in terms of Shaun of the Dead, well, it's a good question, Craig, because certainly Shaun of the Dead uh, is one of those marker videos, we would call it, which is at the, the top, notional top end of 15. Um, what we say in the guidelines about uh, violence and language at 15, it's still with the, the language, first of all, uh, that there may be frequent use of strong language. The strongest terms may be acceptable if justified by context. Aggressive or repeated use of the strongest language is unlikely to be acceptable. So that's what we would be looking for to take a work to 18, repeated, i.e. frequent use of the c word so Shaun of the dead was okay on that basis in terms of violence again there is a caveat that violence may be strong but shouldn't dwell on the infliction of pain and injury now Shaun of the dead did play at the top end of that in terms of some limb severances and headshots and so on but we do and i'll draw your attention to pages 12 to 14 on the guidelines that talk about overarching tone and impact of films and what would we take into account with Shaun of the Dead Graham Hill? Oh, fantastical factors it's comedy as well all, all yeah. kinds of things like that. Yeah. Unthreatening uh, well 
Well, um, it is. It is in places. It is threatening. I suppose that's the wrong yeah, word to use about a zombie horde coming to kill you. Yeah. Yes. Shall it's we say fantastical and it's comic? Yes, but it's not menacing in that sense, is it? Oh, you're going to doubt me it's again. The undead are menacing. It's not sinister. They? Can I say it's not sinister? Well, it gets quite dark towards the, in the oh, pub at the end, isn't it? Useless. It's like it's not. Um, it's not. It's not. It's not the Exorcist, not, though, is it? No, it's not the Exorcist. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. It's Brilliant. a comedy, and within that context. You do get obviously some spills and thrills, but you get this. You know, well, I'm trying to find some words you're not going to object to. But thrills and spills. The overarching feel is is one of watching these people and their adventure and the comedic lines between and them. And it's not The Exorcist. And it's not The Exorcist. We should put that on the CA. Shaun of the Dead, 15, not The Exorcist. <laughs> Maybe next time. Um, Craig, thank you very much indeed for your email. Do follow us uh, also on Twitter at BBFC. We will be back in the autumn. But until then, Graham Hill, thank you to our guest uh, David Cook. Thank you to our producer, Catherine Anderson. And we'll speak to you later. Bye.